0: You're listening to the podcast version of Spark TV, a monthly drop of interviews where we have a wine with the world's most inspirational female founders. I'm your host, Danielle Lewis, the CEO and co-founder of Scrunch, a global influencer marketing community, as well as the founder of Spark Founders Program, a global membership for female founders who are ready to grow their business. Our vision for Spark TV is to share founder stories so you might garner inspiration and pick up strategies to shortcut your own success. Before we start, I do have a special request. Press pause and go and get yourself a glass of vino. We've both got one and we wanna share it with you. Got it? Amazing. Remember, you can also watch these episodes on our YouTube channel, Spark Founders Program, or you can follow our Instagram account at Spark Founders Program for daily business tips. Now sit back, enjoy the vino, and let's bring a little spark to your business. Oh, so good, Ledwina. Thank you so much for being here on Spark TV.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure. I feel like I've had uh, Daniel Spark for most of my day today already.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I know. And I'm so glad. I'm so glad. I always love our chats. So that's perfect. Awesome. Well, let's just kick off by telling everybody how you got here. So you are the fabulous founder of the Room Exchange. I'd love for you to share with the Spark community, firstly, what the heck that is and what your mission is. Um, but also kind of just a quick backstory in terms of how you got here. Was there a career, other businesses? Where did we, where did we come from?
1: Okay, so I'm 56. So that's a big question. So I'll try and condense it as much <laughs> as I can. Uh, I founded The Room Exchange five years ago, and I'm currently also the CEO. Now, The Room Exchange is Australia's first verified house sharing platform. And what that means is, is that we um, have mandatory verification as opposed to it being a nice to have. We have it as mandatory. Mm-hmm. And we've integrated um, Australia Post digital ID within our technology uh, through an API, which means that when we come to verification, there's just a button that gets clicked. Australia Post opens up along with the room exchange and people can get verified um, with their, you know, whatever ID they choose to use. So first and foremost, all of our households and housemates are on the same playing field in that they both have to be verified. And it just creates this sort of like straight up, you know, that you're part of a safe community. And the second thing is that compatibility is really important because we want all of our households to feel like they're coming home to a friend. So our profiles um, help you to be matched based on personality, values, and lifestyle. So Mm -hmm. once you have a look at our profiles, you'll be going, oh, yeah, I reckon I'd be really good friends with her or him. And that makes it really helpful as well. And then the third thing is that you can choose a traditional rental model or you can choose what we call rent offset. So, um, right now, for example, I'm looking for a woman in her fifties who'd like to have our, uh, we have a second master suite in our house Mm -hmm. and, um, it has an ensuite walk-in robe, fully furnished 250 a week. But if you're happy to sell some things for me on Facebook marketplace for two hours a week, I'll knock off $50 of the rent. So that's called a rent offset. Mm. Yeah. So it could be as long as it's non-skilled and non-professional. So, Mm -hmm. for example, if I've got a plumber coming to do do my pipes, you know, my housemate might be able to dig the holes but not actually do the plumbing, if that makes Mm -hmm. sense. So it's kind of like not anything that requires a licence or anything like that. It could be cooking, cleaning, looking after the kids, walking the dog, house-sitting, a whole bunch of different things that are domestic in nature or just – you know, just basic skills that you might have that you're willing to trade or offset part of the rent. So you can do all of, you can offset all the rent or part of it. It's completely up to the household or the housemate. But essentially what that means is, is that we look at the spare bedroom as an asset. So Mm. there's 13.5 million unused spare bedrooms in 10 million homes across Australia.
0: Oh my God, that's huge.
1: Mm. Yeah, I know, I know. And so when you look at it, if we're looking from a business perspective that's wasted underutilized space that you have in your mm. home that mm. you're paying whether you're renting or whether you have a mortgage you're paying for that space so what we've done is that we've created the technology and the platform to give the homeowner or the household comfort know that if they were to rent that or utilize that space that can one choose the best way for them so whether that's You know, rent it could be worth ten to twelve thousand a year in rent, or whether it's household help, which could be up to three hundred hours a year of household help. Then you can use that asset the best way for your household. And then for the for the housemates, for the first time ever, I've been in the property market now for over thirty years, and the first time ever we're actually experiencing a rental crisis. And what Mm -hmm. that means is is that in most places across Australia, there's less than one percent rental vacancies, and in some regions, it's actually zero, particularly in the yeah, the tourist regional areas are really struggling at the moment with um, trying to get even just hospitality workers there because they can't house them. So we have a massive rental crisis, but we have all of this existing um, housing stock in homes across Australia. So we're, we're looking at you know, we want the households to feel safe and secure, but we also want them to see that this is a lifestyle choice and can add a lot of value to mm. their home. And, mm. and then also for housemates, where they might traditionally go for a kind of flatmate arrangement. This is more about become part of a household and maybe a local community. Um, a family or, you know, whoever it is in that home. Some We have a lot of elderly people who are living by themselves. We have women over 50 who want a house share with other women their own age, professional couples, professional singles. There's a whole bunch of range of people. And then we have um, a whole bunch of people who are saying, well, look, you know, there are different ways that we can rent. It doesn't have to be the one traditional way it's always been. And there's also a new kind of renter out there now too that we recognise, and it's not just generally the young person is leaving home for the first time or going to university or maybe backpacking around the country. There are people who are choosing to rent as a lifestyle option. Mm. So r- myself, for example, uh, my husband and I own a rental property in Newport. We're self-managed landlords and we're tenants and we're house sharers. Wow! So yep. we choose, yeah, we, we hmm. want to live a little bit further out in a bigger place. So we rent and then we rent the house where we live. So I've got a pretty good perspective from across all the different angles of um, home what it means to, Mm. what home means now to people. Mm. And, you know, we're really at the right time for it. It's funny, I started the company five years ago, but it's kind of like I started it five years ago for this year. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I can relate
0: to that. Yes.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, and we were just hitting the, just felt like we had just figured everything out when Mm. COVID hit.
0: Mm. You know, we
1: raised capital for the company. We'd, you know, kind of built the tech, had the problems with the tech, as you do, and then, Mm. you know, started to sort all that out. And then COVID, it's like, who's opening up their doors for two years in COVID? We're from Melbourne, right? Mm. And that's national. It's kind of like everybody was incredibly apprehensive for a couple of years there. And so, you know, we decided to, we had two two choices, either close the company. I don't think anybody would have, you know, I think people would have understood that, but yeah. it's just like, for me, I've got shareholders and yeah, and I've invested a lot of my own money and a lot of my time and I wanted to keep our shareholders, um, you know, shareholding hole. And so we decided to use that time to pivot and add a few additional layers to the model and bring it into a time that would fit the post COVID world, which meant a lot of assumptions about where things might be and had a feeling that the rental market would be an area that would be struggling in. Mm -hmm. So let's bring more of that rental conversation in with it and it's worked. So that's the story in brief of the room exchange. Um, If you want me to go back, I, uh, apart from working in, I left school at 15, left home at 16, worked in hospitality for eight years and then met my uh, husband. So we've been married now, just celebrated 30 years and oh my had that's, my kids. In-
0: that's a mission in and of itself. Good work.
1: <laughs> I know. I skimmed <laughs> over that, but yeah, I'm sorry. Um, we've just recently celebrated our 30th anniversary okay. and had my uh, my kids in my life of 25 and 27 So they're now 30 and 28. And sort of at that time, I um, didn't, the idea of actually getting a job job never crossed my mind or having Mm -hmm. a career. I just kind of, I was modelling from the age of 10 and I was, in, uh, very involved in music as a child I, I wanted to go to a uh, music conservatorium because I was playing a lot of classical and orchestras and things like that it just wasn't on the cards for me um mm. and so then when I left home and I moved to Sydney on my own at 16 with 200 dollars in my pocket I was yeah. like okay what's next I'll so, you know keep modeling up there and I'll get a job at McDonald's and I'll work in a bar and I'll do whatever yeah and um hospitality yeah became my thing and Taught me a lot about people and sales and um, being self-sufficient. I uh, realised I had a lot of chutzpah and kind of developed a lot of those skills in that environment. Mm. So when it came to having my children and the decision, you have to understand that when I when I first became a mother, it was kind of like, "Oh, should women work?" was a conversation mm-hmm. at the time. Should wow. women be working outside of the home, right? Mm-hmm. And I never kind of imagined not working.
0: Mm. but what
1: kind of work could I do? And so I just started doing things I could do at home um, with the kids and started out with, um, you know, booking people into focus groups to, cool. um, yeah, party plan um, yeah. ended up getting number one in I was 17 in sales in my first year with this particular company doing um, uh, selling educational games and toys. And then, uh you know kind of continued that path a bit and then we made this crazy decision to homeschool our kids so I was working for myself and homeschooling my kids as well back before people knew what homeschooling was so <laughs> and this is all I know it's all pre-internet and pre-digital and then I decided I wanted to make a tv show when I was about 29 and that was <laughs> a kind of I know this
0: is incredible I love it
1: <laughs> <laughs> well it's kind of like you know I, I get asked you know it's like I talk about, like it's nothing, but I knew nothing about filming or editing or being in front of the camera in that way. Mm. But I just thought I wanted to make a panel type program talking to eighteen to twenty five year olds about social issues. Cool. So, picture twenty five years ago, we were talking about gender, sexuality, relationships, mm. religion, wow. like all of these mental health taboo subjects, taboo, yeah. massive, mm. massively mm. taboo. But then. Um, there was at the time, and you probably um, might be a bit too young to remember this, but uh, Cable Optus launched their first cable network mm-hmm. and they had a community channel arm to it. And then I, I we created a a um, kind of a teaser of the show called Straight Talk and um, uh, and they saw the professionalism of the actual uh, the cut that we did. They said, yeah, we'll take it. You can shoot it here. We'll give you an outside broadcast van. You can have cameras to go do vox oh pops on the street. Oh, my God. Things. Yeah, and that started my TV career, and I knew absolutely nothing, but I knew how to gather the right people around me mm. that knew what they were doing, mm. and I was had enough enough of a level of self confidence to be able to get in front of the camera and and also not be not be that particular about be I've never been a perfectionist, mm. just get up there and do it and figure absolutely. it out as you go along. Yeah. Um, as our mate, Chris Adams says, just say yes. yes and figure it out later. Exactly.
0: That's my life motto. <laughs>
1: he's, he's taught <laughs> me a lot be, about that one. Be kind and, of well. <laughs> um, I've actually bought the URL and it's going to be a book one day, but, um. Oh,
0: I love that. I will be yeah. your customer.
1: That's so good. Cool. <laughs> um, and yeah, so I just, uh, I did that and then they loved. we did a whole season. of The show got broadcast nationally. Um, on Optus Vision, and then they loved what I was doing. They said, "Look, can you produce something else?" And so I came up with this show concept called tv.com. Should have bought the URL, but a picture that mm-hmm. back then. I kind of see myself as a bit yeah. of a futurist in terms of the ideas that I was developing, and yeah. we were demystifying all aspects of technology. And if you can imagine what a computer looked like back then, oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and we had these it's young like kind big, of Dave,
0: big like like thick monitors. Uh, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I demystifying technology. And I had this um, guy called Troy Waller who's still today I'm um, friends with and he um he was presenting it and it was a five-camera, 30-minute live to air. So I was directing. So mm. I went from our first show to presenting to, to then directing this live shoot. And, and then they said, look, we really love what you're doing. Do you want to see if you can get Optus out in schools? And so um, I worked with a teacher and a videographer and we managed to come up with this program called Media Minds, which mm was a two-day hands-on video production workshop that we ran in over ended up running in over 300 schools in Adelaide Brisbane and Melbourne over a period of five years we were the school paid us like quite a lot of money you know to go into each school we knocked off a lot of their curriculum standard framework for media I was then 15 year old high school dropout I was then hired by the Victorian education department to run workshops for teachers of media
0: oh my gosh that is so cool
1: so all this was going on I was homeschooling my kids at the same time and they were getting involved in all the production work that we were doing and my son you know is a massive film lover now and Mm. my daughter self-employed and it, you know like it's, it's it's just kind of like always had this what do I want to do next kind of thing and then digital came in and mm-hmm. so that made that program obsolete so then I I started I was one of the first uh, life coaches to come out of that you know the first sort of um, wow. of life cool. coaching there. Yeah. So I did NLP and life coaching and then I started working with women um helping I was really passionate about um, I done a lot of self-work in my thirties as well mm. to sort of work through some of my childhood stuff and some of the coaching sort of helped me work through that as well. And, mm. and so then I used to run these three-day life innovation weekends for women. And then then I hired a coach and he said, look, you know, you're really great at gathering people together. You're awesome at marketing. Why don't you do a networking event and, you know, and do some business coaching? And I, I thought, well, yeah, why not? So I, I said yes. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and I got this little uh, Indian restaurant in Williamstown. We had 12 women at the table. And and then I just, I know, talked for a bit. And then a couple of them wanted to do some coaching with me. And next thing you know, uh, we are running Australia's third largest women's events company we had events running in four states I was going to Sydney once a month and Brisbane and running two events in Melbourne I was making I don't know 20 grand a month in consulting clients out of it and Mm. then then launched in Perth and the day we were launching in Perth I was diagnosed with kidney cancer so that was the next stage oh my god (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> i love that you're I know, on this podcast because i'm actually learning when i talk to me about tech <laughs> you
0: know it's but i mean it's so interesting because i'm now learning so much about like we talk all the bloody time and i don't uh, know any this about uh, you you know we're yeah, always talking about yeah. sales and business yeah. right? mm. and that's incredible mm-hmm. okay keep going i'm not going to interrupt yeah. you <laughs>
1: yeah yeah so yeah so anyway like me i never mm. do things by halves and the size of the tumor was pretty much the size of my hand. oh so, my god thing centimeters Mm. so I but I you know I'm 12 years cancer clear and I really don't need to go a whole lot into that but Mm. um I uh had the kidney removed with the tumor and you know I had to sort of rest for a year and then it was like jeepers what do I do so Mm. then um I uh, decided to, I asked myself, this is a thing that I also love, is like the quality of your life is determined by the quality of the questions you ask yourself. If you ask yourself mm. shit questions, you can only get shit answers, right? Yes. So I thought, well, what can I do to keep my business brand alive that doesn't mm-hmm. require me to look good, feel good, or go anywhere? Because <laughs> I couldn't. Awesome. Like I'd yeah. had a seven-hour surgery before surgeons, and I was at the lawyers that morning just in case I didn't survive. It, wow. Right, updating our oh wheels, wrote letters to my kids and my friends. Like it was a pretty serious time, mm. and so I, um, I thought, well, I did media before without podcasting. Then I can still talk. I can be in bed and I can talk. Can't be that mm. hard to figure out. So in 2010, mm. I became one of the first B two B podcasters in Australia, and wow, ended up um, hitting number one on iTunes. Probably I don't know three, four times or something. I've got screen grabs of them and. You nice. know, and you were noteworthy and then half a dozen people started asking me, oh, you know this thing about me, if I hear something three times or more, I get antennas mm-hmm. grow out of my head. And I was like, oh, my God, how do you do this podcast and can you teach me? So then I started the podcast masterclass
0: mm-hmm.
1: and then did a six-week, you know, webinar program and then turned that into an evergreen program online and then, you know, did a podcast called the Podcast Masterclass with a mate of mine, Heather Porter, who was also one of the early, you know, podcasters in Australia. And then just yeah, the second year after the um second surgery, I had to spend some time recovering again. So I thought, well, you know, same question, what can I do? And I was still podcasting, but I was like, well, I'll write a book. So then I um I planned this book out called It's That Easy Online Marketing 0, And I thought I'd get you know, I don't know, about 18 contributing authors. It was back at the time when the whole contributing author book concept was just becoming big. Mm-hmm. And one of the contributors that answered a call out on Source Bottle. Yeah. i got to give a big call out to Beck Darrington for creating Source Bottle. It's an amazing yeah, she resource. Yeah,
0: awesome. Yep.
1: Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so this guy called Chris Adams, <laughs> he said, "Oh, you know, I could write something about social media, He's, you know, worked to Facebook, blah, blah. I don't think, yeah, you're a bloody liar. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Um, that was so funny yeah he you know this day best as friends and he's um just s- saved my mind in so many ways at that time I can't tell you but um he ended up writing the opening chapter called a good story well told because he's, mm. he's actually has a PhD in poetry and he's an incredible writer and and he framed the book up beautifully for me about you know talking about storytelling and then I had you know a whole bunch of other authors that you know, um, paid to come into the book and talk about very different aspects. So got copies of, of it lying around somewhere. Wow. Um, and then uh, the third year I had another surgery. And so the day that I was having my third surgery, the book was being released in print and digital worldwide. So wow. that all tells you something about how much I love tech, you know, and how, yes. you know, tech can be just such a great resource, you know, regardless of what's going on, regardless of what's mm. going on around you um mm. I was able to still rest but keep my mind active and it was a huge learning time for me as well like I really learned a lot about deck. Mm. um Chris introduced me to a lot of people in his circle he just said hey she's an Oprah of podcasting just say yes to her and they go okay and so I got to interview all these amazing people that he introduced me to as well which broadened my you know my reach and then mm. um um yeah then I just started to advise and consult on a higher level and um uh, became part of an investment pool with my uh, husband who's on the board of a company um, we and a bunch of other you know people we raised nine million dollars for that particular invention and then there was um, uh, another company that Chris was involved in the Times Bond dog a bunch of people in my living room and mm. helped raise some capital for that and then you know sort of went down that route and wanted to learn and understand that better so and that was kind of like just preceding the room exchange and so yeah when I came up with the idea for the room exchange it just came as a as a way of I was living that way so after my eldest son left home when he was 22 I started utilizing that bedroom right mm-hmm. so people friends of my daughter come and stay they want to stay longer and then you know they didn't have any money and I just look. You help us out a couple of hours a day, and we'll feed and house you. And it was just this organic thing that happened over a period of about three years, and just love the variety and the injection that these people were bringing. Um, into our home, and then a few of my friends started saying, "Oh, that's a great idea! Where can we find someone?" So when I heard that three times, the room exchange was born. That's <laughs> I kind of this- me in a nutshell.
0: <laughs> but that's so good. Like we need to put a pin in that. So um, you know, we often talk about listening to our customers and making sure that we create features or products or services based on what they actually want, rather than just going coming up with an idea and going, "That's brilliant! I'm going to launch it," and then you launch to crickets. So I love what the way you. Frame it, which is if i hear the same idea three times then i know you know the antenna go up and i know that i'm onto something
1: yeah but look i, I don't always i haven't always paid attention to it there was there was a time just um, before covid And it was very strongly recommended to me by a a few people who I admire and respect that, you know, originally when the room exchange was launched, it was launched just purely on what we used to call an exchange model. So there wasn't Mm -hmm. any money involved. It was like help out two hours a day in exchange for food and accommodation. That's how we were living. Mm -hmm. and. Now, you know, every business has to start somewhere. And if you wait until you think you've got the model perfected, you'll never get anything started. But a big (laughs) thing that I learned at that time is that I became so stubborn about Mm -hmm. the birthing concept of the business Yeah, that when it came to, oh, I need to pivot and change this, it was like, no, no, you don't understand this is what it was supposed to be. And I remember that, Mm -hmm. you know, that'll be a chapter in my book as well because it was a, I say this to a lot of, um, you know, people who, you know, I talk to and advise now. It's just like you have to, as you just said, the customer will help to define what the service or the product should be. Yes. Um, but in the early stages of things, particularly, I liken it to having a child. It's like you invest so much and you think that this kid's going to be this and all of a sudden they show you who they are. Yeah. And then it's like you've got to let go. You know, not all mm. of it, because they still need a framework, but you've got to let go of the core values or the core of the core values. The just, I guess, the, the essence of who you think that they were going to be and let it form mm. themselves and yeah. just trust that you've given it enough of, you've given them enough foundation and guidelines that they will choose the right path. Mm. I think if you look at that in parallel to a business, it's like you've got to let, you can see it and let it go and become its own thing but you've got the the technology you've got the people around you you've got the as long as you've got all the underpinning Mm. then you trust yourself to let it go and let it form into what it will be and what happens as a result of that is I've learned so much more about myself as well Mm. and also um It's actually really freed me up to steer me into a direction in the real estate industry that I've always been really passionate about and being Mm. able to make a positive impact in that space as opposed to it. Because before it didn't really feel like it was about the real estate industry you know, yeah. when now it actually is. Yeah, so oh, absolutely. there's a lot of and
0: it's, and it's really interesting. Like I love the way you talk. I don't think we've mentioned it, but, you know, the demographic as well of women in Australia, you know, I think you said a stat to me the other day that the over 50s women in Australia are the highest demographic homeless. So, you know, you're actually creating a huge impact in the world by offering a service like this that can actually help out people that bloody need it.
1: Yeah, and and I'll just add a bit of clarification around that because I think it's really important for people to understand what we are and what we're not. Mm -hmm. So we're not, um, we are a for-profit house-sharing platform. We're not a social welfare um, not-for-profit. So we're not equipped to to deal with people who are in difficult situations. And But having said that, sometimes, you know, like it can can happen. It can happen to us. It's like pe- people in the yeah. middle-aged sector now, oh, sorry, yeah. not middle-aged, middle middle income, right? Mm. Mm. They're generally like six to eight weeks away from losing everything. Like if they lost their job, that's uh, that's how long they'd probably be able to pay their mortgage yeah. for. Yep. So if they didn't have an, a temporary option before mm. they could actually fill up their bank account again, then yeah. they could fall down that rabbit hole, right? So yes. if you sort of if you look at us in that way, it's kind of like, you know, we've got these households who are opening up their homes. They're not doing it to help people out. They're doing it no, to no, no, benefit no. themselves. Yeah, yes. right. And and to add value to the home and to add additional layers, whether it's financial support or household support. And mm. at the same time, that person equally comes into their home and supports them in that way. But then the household also supports the, the person by providing the housing, right? So mm. that's who we are. Um, yeah. But I do believe that being able to access, being able to have affordable and accessible housing there that doesn't need to be built can Mm -hmm. help prevent a whole lot of problems for people down the road. So going back to the women over 50, I'm 56. Women in my age group are the fastest growing demographic for homelessness in Australia. Mm -hmm. And the reason isn't because they're making poor choices or Mm -hmm. a drug or alcohol addict. It's not this subconscious thing that people have in their head. It's because of divorce right? Yeah. So yeah. now, thankfully, it'll be the last generation quite likely where it will happen. Maybe one more, I think they're saying 45 and up now. Mm. But when you think about women, my daughter's age, she's 28. She's thinking about superannuation. She is self-sufficient. She, mm. When she does partner with someone, she won't be completely dependent on him. Yeah. So when so- I was growing up as a young woman, the messages I was receiving were, make sure you marry well. And yep. make sure that you learn how to type in case you need a job. <laughs> right. Yes, yes. Not, you know, make sure you've got a superannuation account and that you, you know, should something happen and your marriage doesn't work out that you're going mm. to be financially okay because it's never talked about that your marriage w- wouldn't work out. Oh, right. Yeah, so spot on. Yeah. And
0: and it's really yeah. interesting like I think about my mom and I think about other, you know, friends that I have and it just shocks me when they say things like, "Oh, I don't know, he looks after all of that." Like, and I go, "Oh God," you know. Like, it's just, you, and you do, yeah. you always think the best. And I think as women, we go into a lot of our relationships thinking the best will happen, but it do, it's not always the case. And if you outsource the financial responsibility to the man, you can set yourself up for a bit of strife.
1: Yeah, and conversely, the same. You know, like um, mm. I in my i love finances so i'm all over it yeah um but there's a lot of men i know that don't and they just go oh well she just does a really good job of it and you know you got that trust there, great but then there's still this possibility that something could happen and yeah and i just think it's it's kind of like i think if people looked more at marriage or life partnership i call it marriage because i'm married okay so Mm. you know it's my language so they they look at that that level of commitment I look at mm-hmm. it like a business partnership you know mm-hmm. like it's got to be you know there's a financial underpinning there's the intimacy there's the um, mental simulation there's the children that you have you're building a big city together
0: yeah right
1: it's a yeah. huge city like Harry and I when we were um, celebrating our 30th we decided to go away with our um, adult kids we planned a full day trip we've been planning it for a year and it was just beautiful in Daleswood in this big gorgeous house and we had a number of different things that we did each day, but on the actual anniversary down the Monday, Harry and I actually wrote words to each other as a kind of like mm-hmm. a form of, you know, re- something new for the next 30 years, right? Because yep. who we are today is not who we were when we were in our early 20s. And we wanted mm-hmm. to say that in front of the kids, that this is, you know, who we're becoming, and I'll continue to promise not to iron your clothes and not to be obedient. And we, we do, it's a running joke in our family. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But the, you know, it's like a, it, it's, a, it's still a business partnership. There's this big city mm. that we've built that's mm. at a different stage in its life now that needs different conversations and different things that we need to look at and consider. And I just think that, you know, that's one of the things that's happened with this generation of women, but you know, the output of that is that, Mm -hmm. you know, they just need somewhere to stay for a while to you know, top up their bank account while the divorce settlement comes through. And often when they do get their divorce settlement, it's not enough for them to be able to buy a house, or maybe it is, mm. but they don't have the income capacity to be able to finance a mortgage so they won't get mm. approved. So there's a number of different really great things that are coming out at the moment for women in that age group, like um, oh, Daisy Ashworth has got mortgage mates. So, you know, women who can buy, you know, houses together or... Um, it's a number of different things. And house sharing is a, is a really great way. And yeah. I'm right now looking for a woman in her 50s to come and live with me because, you know, just at the stage where Harry and I and our kids have left home, it'd be nice to have that kind of stimulating conversation. But mm. I also want a woman who's in that challenging spot because mm. I want to show, you know, through our stories that we can share together through this experience that, you know, it can be a great thing to support.
0: Yeah, I you know. absolutely love it. Absolutely love it. So I want to reflect on, because I feel like we could talk for hours. <laughs> I want to reflect on your, um, so your story before the room exchange, you know, you never said the words, I was in tech, but you went out and you built a tech Platform, which I, and which you then sort of had to pivot through COVID. I'm really interested in that process. So, you are a female founder, potentially no tech experience. You obviously have epic sales, media, marketing, all that kind of good stuff. How did you go about actually building a tech platform?
1: Mm. So, I'll just um, clarify just a bit of that. I wouldn't say I didn't have any tech experience. I probably just didn't add that in the story before. So when I was running the Women's Network, I also started an online membership program. Oh, so cool. that would have right. been the of, course early days of course you did. Of course you did. I
0: love it. Oh, so so I good.
1: I, yeah. So I remember building my first website back, and it cost me, oh gosh, it would have been about $15,000. Ridiculous wow. amount. You could do it on, you know, on any kind of membership site today for probably two thousand if you hired someone to build it for you, right? Yeah. But, you know, so learned a lot about the costs of tech back then, um, and then obviously with you know the podcasting and you know technology has always been sort of like a part of um, my. You know, I loved it, and my son's always mm. been making films, so we were always you know producing stuff and the, and the media programming. in school. So it's kind of the 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 leaning into the tech and the way that I did was mm. kind of like this progression of types Always of technology leading.
0: moving yeah in. oh constantly yeah.
1: innovating yeah mm. yeah and so so when it came the work I was doing before the room exchanger I was doing a lot of advising advice Bondo, it's another company that I'm also an investor in um that was technology Chris was involved in that as well and I was mm. learning a lot so Chris became an advisor of mine 12 years ago mm-hmm. and my COO now um uh David Savaropoulos was also, um, you know, involved with Spondo at the time and still is. And, you know, and these are kind of like I just started to get this injection of information and tech. And, mm. they you know, you know I'm, I'll get shot by saying this. It's It was a, a different type of, how do I say it without being politically incorrect? I hate <laughs> that I've got to filter my words. So I was very much involved in women, running a women's organisation, right? This yeah. was the first time I had a male men's, thinking and advising coming into I was like that way right and I learned a lot um Mm. in that way and um and really you know while I was recovering from cancer I was having lots of conversations with them and then this sort of led so it will kind of led into it now I don't believe you have to be an expert in something to be able to do it I just Mm. believe you need to be able to work your way through enough conversations Mm -hmm. to know what you need and know who you need to hire to do it. So if we go back to when I decided I wanted to make a TV show, it Mm. was really no different. Mm. Right. Although I really didn't know what I was doing back then, but you know, (laughs) um, you know, if you have the vision and you're passionate Mm. about what it is that you want, you know, what tools you need to achieve that. And you know what your own skill set is. So my skill set's always been brand and marketing and communications, Mm -hmm. PR, etc. I've just been able to to do that well. Then it was like, okay, well, I need. um, I knew in my head this would be, you know, at least about 150k bill to Mm -hmm. kick it off, right? Yeah. Because this isn't just a website with a nice little, you know, membership program in the back of it. This is something that's going to end up having having algorithms that can you know yes. spit out information and that's gonna have you know you needed it needed somebody really yeah. knew what exactly and the yeah. verification and all that sort of stuff mm. which I was pretty certain about in the beginning um and so I ended up um getting an agency on board and I and I knew I was gonna need to raise capital to mm. be able to build the tech to kick it off. So I started the company with it being investor ready which in and of itself is a whole other conversation and a very costly <laughs> exercise. Yes. I can't believe how much money it actually costs to raise money. To raise money, um, yes. People don't oh, realize that. Oh no. <laughs> it's just kind of it's an oxymoron, really.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and then um, and then it was like I did I spent a year probably researching uh, digital agencies and really digging deep into it. Um, ended up going with one that I now regret. Um, uh, just out of respect, I won't uh, quote the name, but mm-hmm. a Melbourne-based one. And what ended up happening. And I, you know, I, I didn't, wasn't aware until after we left them, but they had been charging us, um, you know, kind of Australian rates and then outsourcing. Wow. Um, elsewhere, but telling us that it was their team here in Australia. Now I have no issue wow. with outsourcing and, and I actually have a team who work for me in Pakistan. I'm half Indian. I love working with Indian people and, mm-hmm. um, you know, so I've got no issue with that, but it's like, don't tell me one thing and then do another and then don't exactly. charge me for one thing and then you know, you're pocketing a whole lot. And then mm. in the process of that, the person that they put in charge to project manage was nowhere near mature enough or experienced enough to, um, and they later admitted that they put the wrong person in place there, ended up putting mm. us a year behind, a year behind. Now, it's, you it's know, so they said it would take six months. Mm. I gave it a year. They said six months. I In my head it was a year. Yeah. But that meant that, you know, the... the Investment money that I'd raised, the story I told the shareholders, the mm-hmm. you know, and it was just like you have no idea, no idea what level of um challenge that that puts you under. And, and it's when yeah. it's completely out of your control and you keep mm-hmm. getting told one thing and it keeps getting stretched out and stretched out. And this whole tech space, I mean, you and I were having this conversation about it the other day, and I said, yeah. I've built um, I built a house before, right? My husband and I uh built a house and uh, at the time, it was I don't know maybe two hundred thousand. I think we already owned the lands. It was about two hundred thousand mm. to built this house. Mm. And at every stage of the, um, every stage of the house it was built, so yes. the um, foundations, yeah, and then the engine, you know, the engineering foundations, the framing, yeah. everything had to have an inspector to come along and inspect it. Yes, and mark it off and say yes, this has been done correctly. This is correct. Why yeah. the heck? Do we not have that same kind of regulation around technology in Australia? Mm. I'm going to say this. We are going to yell this loud and proud, Danielle. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Why do not? Why do we not have that same level? Because you and I are not coders. We can't exactly. look underneath the bonnet and go, "Yeah, that's being coded correctly." And it's not until. You leave that and then you get somebody else to look at it. And half the most of the fear mm. around me actually leaving this agency was learning what I might discover.
0: Yeah. Not the problems
1: we were having, but just the oh. fear of what we might discover.
0: I just couldn't agree with you more. And the idea of having some kind of regulation is bloody genius. Personally, over the 10 years of having Scrunch, I have lost hundreds of thousands of dollars. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm talking all levels. I've done agency outsourcing. I've done outsourcing, outsourcing. I've had in-house teams. Like because I'm not a tech founder and I'm not a coder, you know, actually learning to not have the wool pulled over your eyes is a long bloody journey. And, you know, mm. you're right. If, you, if we had some level of, okay, this is up to standard, then God, that would help a lot of people in their journeys.
1: Yeah. And I would pay. Like if there was some insurance or something that you could pay on that, yeah. that would cover that cost, I'd yes. pay it in a heartbeat. I'd pay it too. Yeah, yeah. Like, <laughs> you think <laughs> this is
0: another business idea, isn't it?
1: <laughs> oh, probably. Yeah. You and I should probably do this. Oh, some funny. insurance company for um development. <laughs> but yeah. it, it's kind of like, yeah, but when but mm. when an age it's different if you're taking on if you're outsourcing it and that, that person is coming and doing chunks and pieces of mm. a development, and you've got a project manager or ETO that can oversee that that's one thing but yeah. when you are going okay you, you say you're going to do this we've got a contract we've got an agreement around all this this is what you're going to do this is it timeline that's going to be in place this is how I'm going to pay for it and then you just go and bs me the entire way yes you know and and oh. then just oh
0: it's like it's criminal I you know I mean I get very mm. passionate about this because I've been in that position far too many times to recount where you do like and and you're so right the external pressure of customers of shareholders of you know advertising campaigns that you have in market that you now have to renege on and you're the person that has to front up to these people because someone's told you something that was a lie like it's just and and the problem is is this isn't unique to you and I. this Mm-mm. has happened to so many founders that I know it's just it really really rubs me the wrong way I hate it
1: yeah and the, the only thing I can think of is a way around that apart from my idea of having you know <laughs> regulation around bills, oh, yes. Yes. is um is you know maybe have a tech co-founder but then mm. I, I don't know that I would want that you know like I know mm. I hear you know people that have found the companies. You know with a co-founder but already have a marriage you know yeah. just I, I know,
0: know I know I know and look and that's a whole nother kettle of fish isn't it co-founder uh, you know, I've, I've been there yeah. and well I, I don't know day I, day I day haven't again. been there oh it is like mm. a marriage I yeah, tell I, haven't, you I haven't been there yeah, you. it's again, you've got to plan the yeah. divorce before you go into a co-founder. <laughs> and it is, and it's, but I mean, it is interesting because it is around that, okay, you know, what are our levels of expertise? What are we going to agree on? What if someone wants to leave the business? You know, I think it does mm. come down to that, you know, how do you set expectations up front before, you know, you get 10 years into business and, and things start to fall apart?
1: That's a good question and it's something that, um, you know, just bringing it down on a sort of like a simplistic layer. Um, we, uh, we do this with our um, house sharers on our platform. It's so like we yes. have this service that we've just released, which is um, a house sharing um, agreement service, right? Yes. So it's yep. like let's have the difficult conversations up front mm. so that when you have issues down the road, and there will be because people equal issues, like it's, you know, Absolutely. we have challenges that come up right? yes. then you know well I've already had that conversation back then I already know what mm-hmm. the expectation would be around it now and it could be just as simple as like oh I've really enjoyed spending this time living with you but I want to go and get my own place now and maybe mm-hmm. the housemate might be feeling really guilty because they're going to let them down because they've been I don't know looking after their kids after school and now they're yeah. going to be put but if you've talked about well like you know the, if you talked at the top end and said, well, um, you know, one of the questions that we ask in that is like, well, when you, anyone wants to exit this, what are the rules around that? And it's the same Absolutely. with, uh, you know, any kind of business relationship, right? And mm. it's like, well, um, how much notice do you want? I'd like a month's notice if it's the household and the household. go, Yeah, I could do that. All right, great. Mm. Write that down in your agreement. And, yeah. you know, we just sort of, what about rules about having friends over? Are you comfortable with that? Well, how about you just have them over for dinner first and we'll get to know them and then we'll go from there. Okay, that's cool. Uh, what about, you know, and like you just talk about these things that mm. you think might end up becoming a problem or might be awkward to have conversation down the road. Yes. And you fix it up in the beginning and I say this particularly for friends who I go have any kind of business relationship with it's even more important for me to make sure that we have something in writing and it can even just be an email that's just described what our conversation was Mm. and it's like did you this is how I interpret it did you agree with all that just reply yes imply yes it's like okay we've got an agreement let's move on now
0: yeah, that's so good. I love that. Have the difficult conversations up front when there aren't emotions, you know, when, yes. when it's a few years in and something's happened and everyone's cranky and emotions are high. That's not the time to have a productive conversation. Like have no. it now when everything's calm.
1: Yeah, yeah, and then break bread together. That's yes. so important to me, like every mm. single person that is involved with me in business in some way as I have either come to my house for dinner or we've had a Zoom dinner together when we couldn't meet yeah. <laughs> or, you know, we've gone out and had a drink together, something like that. It's like, mm. you know, there's this thing about um, got it, I've got a new advisor, she's an amazing woman, Deborah, and her and her um, partner came over for dinner on Saturday night and made seafood payer and had, you know, oh, Spanish amazing. oysters and was sitting at the back on the deck and, you know, it was just kind of like it just creates a level of intimacy and connection with them, that's how we're kicking off our relationship that Yes. Way, right? Yeah. And I just think there's something to be said for that. And we say to our housemates, you know um, in the first month or so that you're living together you know make sure that you know one night a week could be a Friday night you sit and you ask a question how's the week going is Mm. there anything that you need are you having issues with anything and just talk things out to the point where you don't even need it to be a ritual anymore because you'll just naturally do it when the need arises yes it's common sense Danielle like it's
0: (laughs) it is but nobody has common sense (laughs) Uh, <laughs> no, I love it because I think relationship, build. I mean, I think we've kind of moved between relationships and business, but I think that is what business is all about. You know, whether it's sales, whether it's advisors, whether it's team, if you can learn how to build great relationships, you can build a great business.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And if you don't like people, don't get into business.
0: Oh God! I, yes, don't. that's the best advice ever. Yeah, <laughs> just <laughs> all you do is deal don't. with people all day. <laughs>
1: because like you know, uh, no, because like you know, and you've got to, you've got to constantly have empathy and Mm. understanding for Mm. the people who are working with you like right now we have one of our team who's has a brother that's just been in a car accident and another one whose partner's about to have a baby right so when things like that occur you've got to go okay well this guy is gonna need you know two or three weeks off I think they call it maternity paternity leave or something I don't (laughs) know he's gonna want to have some time where he's not not gonna want me tapping on his you know hey Mm. how's things going with this I was like, okay, great, so what do we need to make sure that we've sorted out so that you can go away? Yeah, And then, absolutely. He's, then, he's got, he, then he's got a rule. He goes, you know, if it's urgent, you can contact me, but you've only got one bluff, so if you use your bluff, then that's it. <laughs> <You> know, <so laughs> that's a good rule. He's I like Okay, it. I get that.
0: Oh, yeah, really and then, cool.
1: you know, and then the other guy is just like, just checking in with him once a week, you know, mm-hmm. you just want to know how, how he's going and, yeah. you know, when you're ready, you let me know and we're here you know, yeah. and in the meantime, we just have to figure it out because exactly. that's humanity. And at mm-hmm. the underlying of everything that we do, I guarantee everyone who's ever worked with us mm. will say that they felt loved by us. And I think that's mm-hmm. important. Loved and cared for, you know, I and, you know, they get, they get, I'm like you, I seen. you know, I've got I've got cards, but there's images you can see in the background Is um, my artwork and I make cards out of my, it's what I do when oh, I'm I love not it. running a company, I paint. <laughs> 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 and, you know, and I send cards, handwritten cards to people. You mm. know, if somebody's given me their meeting, time for a meeting, I'll send, I'll write them a card and thank them for their time. Yeah. You That's know, gorgeous. it's just kind of these little things that, mm. you know, you do that, like that book you sent. I love it. 101 <laughs> Love Notes to Female Founders. It's yeah. like, it's so cool. And then you got this little QR code and I just scan it and then I've got a live <laughs> message from you, yeah. a little love note, you know. That's right, just bringing joy into your day. Yeah. <laughs> you don't yeah. get my
0: face enough. i put it in a book for you. <laughs> 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 oh, I love it. To I'm the-
1: going gonna, gonna to use that idea. I love it. But love you're it. spot
0: on though, right? It's like people underestimate how important the little things are you know we write we had um we launched an e-commerce brand over over COVID back in 2020 and I was blown away all we used to do on the little um shipping note the little invoice that you send with the product I used to write a handwritten note because we were a brand new business back then and um it was just this little thank you so much for supporting you know love Danny yep. people were like shocked that we'd actually gone to the effort of writing a handwritten note and it's just mm. you do forget that it's the little because there's lots of big corporates that can't do the little things sometimes that's what differentiates you in business
1: yeah so think about what are what are the things that people get in the mailbox Mm. what is it junk Mm -hmm. mail Bills. That's right. Nothing fun. And then Every you get the mail. then you get this. Uh, then you, when you do finally check your letterbox, because most people don't even get mail these days. But when you do finally check it, and it's got something, it's got a hand and address on the front. It's like, mm-hmm. oh my god, who loves me? Yes. <laughs> so must be my old auntie or someone. Yeah, like, you know? right.
0: <laughs> Grandma sending me a Christmas card again, and it's May. <laughs> Oh, it's so good. No, I love it. All right, yeah. let's wrap mm. on one last. Last question I've got for you. So a lot of people tuning in to Spark TV are early founders. They're new in this journey. And it's been a tough few years. Is there anything, any piece of advice or wisdom, or insight that has served you well and helped ha- and helped you to keep going on this business journey?
1: Yes. So, well, gosh, there's a few, but I'd have to say um my art, definitely, and that was something mm-hmm. that I only discovered when I f- first started the Room Exchange because I needed something to uh, relax me and switch off, uh, mm. you know, because I've worked from home for 28 years as well. So, um, you know, separating myself from that and such a big thing and when you've got a, a small team and it means that you're on more, yes, on for longer, as in, you know, mm. you've got the email up on your phone and social media. It, there's things that you've just got to do when you're a small team, right? Mm. So painting for me and i oh, didn't realize that i actually could do it and um and now i have uh this place behind me actually it's a cafe in um it's a photo of a cafe in uh said in melbourne called Seddon deadly scenes and they've got eight <laughs> of my pieces there and there's another just... cafe um yeah in laverton called favor and grace and they've got about five of my pieces and it's just better than having them wrapped in bubble wrap people enjoy them and sometimes Mm. they buy them Mm. um but I paint for joy and it also interestingly my experience of painting has actually taught me uh to be a better problem solver because painting Mm. is all about solving problems the entire process every single step is about solving a problem um and it's about composition and you know where is things going to go and how's it going to look and feel and you know Mm. you're constantly making decisions all the time and that Mm. my level of decisiveness is a gift that I think that I have now and art's actually given really sharpened that for me. So being incredibly decisive was good. But the other thing that helps me um, and this particularly with um, keeping my mental health in check and at times I, I can uh, take things, emotional things, take them into me to in a physical way. If that makes sense. Mm -hmm. And because I've only got one. Yeah. And because I've only got one kidney, I have to be really careful of stress. And make yep. sure that my cortisol levels don't shoot up because that can mm. put me in danger. And then I'm dialysis and, you know,
0: wow. Harry yep. will
1: have to give me one of his kidneys <laughs> and transfer <me laughs> Joke about it. Um, so journaling is something that I'm really religious about. I say mm-hmm. it's, it's like a religious practice. And I I have, um, I have two journals, one that's kind of like a practical uh, thing. And then the other one that actually where I write, you know, sort of what's happened in my week and day and how I'm feeling and things like that. And I, it's this constant self-awareness, Process that I put myself through. Yeah. And I think the more self aware that you are, the easier it is to recognize when you're thinking and feeling something and an action comes as a result of that. So, thoughts, then you're feeling action. Yes. If you can identify it and access where that's coming from, where it's being triggered from, is it fatigue? Is it this problem with this person that you haven't resolved yet? Is it w- whatever it is? If you can work mm. out a fight you just have with your partner, whatever. Um, if you can work out where it comes from, then you know that, okay, that's not actually about that. Yes. And that has re- that has helped me immensely. And like even I have a beautiful office space that I come to a couple of times a week in um, the cotton mills in Melbourne in Footscray. And, and I would sit out in the kitchen when I first get started. I'm there with my journals and everyone's sort of looking at me. It's like, yeah, I've got to, if I don't. If I go straight to my desk, I won't mm. write. So I have to go somewhere else. And then I, I hand write everything. Wow. Um, and then it's just like the, the, the shit that's in my head get, goes.
0: Yes, absolutely. And
1: the stuff that I, yeah, the stuff that I need to focus on gets noted. And I'm not talking about my to-do list because that's in my Trello board, but I'm just talking about mm. the big things that need to be done that week and how they might be affecting my thoughts and my feelings. Yes. And so that's the other thing that I do. And somebody asked me the other day in an interview, you know, what's the, um what's the best book that you've read and I and I said I've never said it this before and I'm really glad that I did and I will continue to say it now and it's my journals wow that's best incredible that yeah. yeah and I have boxes of them like I've been journaling for years and um there's a young bloke that I listen to my favorite podcast his name's Stephen Bartlett he's from England and the podcast is called the diary of a CEO mm-hmm. highly recommend that you listen to it it's just it's oh, it's just infectious and and he um, says that and like he he writes in a diary and this whole you know podcast started with him just sharing notes from his own diary wow. and now he just like you know it's a massive podcast and he's just mm. he's a brilliant young man and um, you know and it, there's something about getting a, something from here and translating it into words on a paper mm. and it's like the same thing with art. And it's like people have really lost the ability to sit and be still with themselves and their own thoughts and their own creativity. They're just so busy all the time. Mm. And I'm not saying that I don't get caught up in the tech and the, you know, the email, social media and stuff, but I'm actually disciplined because I know that I can't be the last thing that I'm doing before I go to sleep. And it can't be the first mm. thing that I do when I wake up because mm. that's, that is going to transform my sleep and it's going to transform my day. Or decide what it's going to be, right?
0: Yeah,
1: I'd much rather it be something else. So journaling is the last thing that I do before I go to sleep. And then before I start work, I'm journaling. So I I think there's just things that whatever your practice is that helps Mm. you to do that. Some people it's running, you know, I I like to ride my bike. So I do that as well just because I'm not an exercise lover, but I do like riding my bike. So I'll do that for exercise and and swimming. And so it's just kind of like what fulfills me in a way that you know just really gets my juices up and there's nothing better when somebody looks at one of my paintings and just gets mesmerized by it like it's just mm-hmm. it's just like it's <laughs> the best feeling in the world and I got my first commission recently and um, oh, I'm wow. I'm sitting anxiously waiting waiting for her to go
0: hey I love it <laughs> you know? oh my god but yeah so
1: Mm, I love yeah.
0: it. I love it. You are absolutely incredible, Ludwina. Thank <laughs> you so much for spending your time and sharing your story and your insights and your wisdom and your tips with the SMART community. I'm so grateful for you.
1: Oh, look, I'm I'm really glad to have you too. I can't believe it took us so long to get connected. I think Chris introduced us probably, I don't know, five years ago or something. And I don't know, something didn't happen, but mm. then you invited me to become part of this Um the the sales program that you're doing. And I thought, oh, that's another thing I think that's important. Just because you might be good at something doesn't mean that you don't need a refresher. And doing this um, this 12-week program with you is actually learning is a very big thing I'm passionate about as well. And putting the time aside each week to just go over our sales process and yes. you know and getting insights from other people and then this you know the, the coaching sessions that we can have with you on the side as well and being able to talk hey is there something else here that I'm missing you know do you mm. see potential here in something else that we could sell or service and you know and it's really good to always put sit at the feet of a master is something that I I, I swear by um, and you know the master might be somebody who really surprises you at that time it could be a kid that mm. you just need to listen to in a very simple way for simple reasons or it could mm. be an elderly person i've got my auntie Anne, who's you know in her 80s who rang me last night at 10 o'clock and you know just to spray some love on me I she's my her. elder you know yeah, she, i yeah. love her love her love mm. her you know um mm. and you know you just you just don't know where the wisdom and the learnings are and just don't sort of think that somebody has to have a whole lot of badges behind you know against their yes. name yep. um to be an expert um you know, there are a lot of people, not, but having said that too, I'm very respectful of people who have actually gone through and studied and learned, you know, what it is that they've learned. But mm-hmm. for me, the thing I respect the most is application. Yes,
0: so knowledge absolutely. is one thing,
1: but if you can't apply it and mm-hmm. also embrace when things don't work and then get back up and keep going, that's what I respect. Right. And that's where oh. the biggest learnings in life has come from for me.
0: Yeah. Look, I couldn't agree with you more. I am always surprised at where I get my inspiration from, you know, and I and I often have people who say, you know, it's that, you know, that amazing person that's exited this giant e-commerce store, they need to be my mentor. And I'm like, well, they're probably not going to mentor you. You can get mentorship and advice and learnings and wisdom from podcasts, from books, from having a coffee with people in your industry. Like there's so many places where you can get wisdom. It doesn't need to be that one person so I totally agree like be open to the conversations and be open to you know actually yeah I love that what does it sit at the feet of the master like that's that's gorgeous mm, sit at the love feet of
1: a, of, a yeah. of a master yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. no it's yeah. awesome
0: <laughs> you are amazing thank you so much <laughs> that wraps this episode of spark tv thank you so much for listening and don't forget to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review that helps other amazing female founders like you find us and grow too you can also follow along on instagram at spark founders program for daily business inspiration and dm us with a guest you'd like to hear from next or even join our community at sparkfoundersprogram.com thank you for being here and if no one tells you today you got this